Hello, everyone. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us on the Live Unreal with Glover U podcast, where every week, Jeff Glover and his coaches will dive deep into questions that you were asking. They understand the challenges you're facing on a day-to-day basis and still work every day on the front lines of real estate, with Jeff and his team closing over a 1,000 homes per year. In today's episode, Jeff continues his list of the seven most common marketing pitfalls and how to avoid them. This is crucial information to bring with you into the new year in order to make the best use of your time and marketing dollars. Now, let's hear from Jeff. Marketing mistake number four, dipping your toe into several approaches rather than going all in on a few. Dipping your toe into several approaches versus going all in on just a few. I see this all the time in our market and I never understand why agents, you know, again, we talked about sprinkling around. You know, you can't just using billboards as a for instance, which by the way, we continue to do billboards, not as many. I mean, at one time I had probably 40, 45 billboards in the state of Michigan. Today it's about 20. So we figured out, okay, maybe we can pay a little bit more for each location, but we can get more eyeballs on it. And that, of course, will increase our profits. But I didn't just start with one billboard. I saved up the money until I could own that space. And I'm not saying you have to own the space of billboards, because of course, billboards are very expensive. Although I will say the more that you buy, the cheaper they get, right? They'll work out package pricing on anything today. But pick a category and own it. Own a category or two versus sprinkling around, right? I use the example of uh, grocery store shopping carts. You know, that's still a thing. If somebody calls you and says, hey, I've got an opportunity for you to be at the Kroger at, you know, 12 in Halstead. Um, You know, somebody is left there and you got 10% of the carts that, that you could be on. Do you want it? What do most agents do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do I sign? Let's do it. I want to be there. You're going to be on 10% of the carts. That means there's a 90% chance they're not going to see you. Do not take the opportunity unless you can own that category. No, 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 I'm not interested unless I'm on at least 50%. I need to own the category. Whenever you think of marketing mediums, think of the categories that you could own. And they don't have to be big. It could be small neighborhood stuff. I mean, listen, you saw Terry Fenelon up here yesterday. She owns her neighborhood. That is a perfect example of doing all sorts of little things added together that cause you to dominate that space. It doesn't have to be an entire zip code. How can you own the category? Versus, she could send maybe one postcard a year to them and one postcard a year to another neighborhood over and one postcard over here and, 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 oh, you know, I can be on the back page of this community and I can be on the back page of this and I could sponsor that event over here when I get an opportunity and then come over here. That's not owning anything. Pick one or two and own it. Number five, marketing mistake number five. Always selling rather than connecting. Always selling instead of connecting. We spend way too much time selling, sales pitch versus connecting. Always selling versus connecting. A good marketing piece won't come out and necessarily ask for business. It will communicate a message that causes someone to reach out to do business with you because of your message, because of the image, because of the brand, because of who you are. 
And I also wrote down, because of the value you add. Because of the value you add. Right? There's a reason why client events are so popular today. You know, I was the guy that was in the back of the room listening to people talk about client events that, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Client events? I don't want a client event. I don't want to see my clients and I, I, I'm not going to remember them. What if they all talk to each other? Like, this is not good. That was me for years. And then I realized the benefit of client events. Why? Because of the law of reciprocation. Law of reciprocation states you do enough good for somebody, it's going to come back to you. So now we swear by them. I mean, our, our database business went from less than 20%. You know, we were doing 1,000 transactions a year, and less than 100 of those were coming from our database. It was all prospecting and marketing. And today, almost 50%, 45% in 2020 came from our database. That's how you increase profits, because that business is more profitable. But that's why you're seeing client events happen all over the country and agents swearing by them. Because when you add value to your clients, they want to repay you. And then you take it a step further, you do a big client event, and you allow your clients to invite guests. You want to find a way to grow a massive database quickly? You allow your clients to invite guests to your event. I mean, I just think about our event. You know, obviously we weren't able to have it because of COVID, but Detroit Tigers opening day is a big deal in Detroit. We invite, you know, five, 600 people down to the Gem Theater, close to the ballpark. We're now allowing our clients to invite guests. Why is that? Well, I can just picture them in their GMC Suburbans on their way from Clarkston, Michigan, down to downtown Detroit with their neighbors talking about, oh, how long have you been coming to this event? And how do you know Jeff? Oh, he sold our house 10 years ago, whatever. Think about that person being added to our database, the level of credibility we have in an instant. Every time you do a client event, you should consider adding guests. This particular year, we're renting out a portion of the Detroit Zoo. It'll be our biggest event, over 1,000 attendees. Why? Because we're gonna plan on 500 clients who will also invite 500 guests. So half and half, that's right. Why? Because those 500 guests are going to become future clients. What value are you adding? Another example of selling versus connecting, here's an example one. An agent sends out a postcard for a listing they just sold. It has the house on it, the specs of the house, and their agent information. It looks good, but nothing special. Example number two. An agent sends out the same postcard, but it includes details of how the job was done. Of course, multiple offers and all the other stuff that we're going to put, and also dialogue such, such as looking for more houses to get buyers into who do you know? The messaging. Now ask yourself, what is being communicated in those different messages? How is it different? How is it similar? One postcard communicates that a house was sold and the information about who sold the house. The second postcard advertises the job you did for the clients and how you're able to help another seller in that same area. One message is about you as the realtor. The second message is about the clients. I said on the very first day of day one, Everything you put out there should be how it benefits them. Every single message you put out today, anything you post on Facebook, the hashtags. You know, by the way, we're giving away a, our next gift is going to be the Live Unreal um, Beach Kit. It's got a, actually, this, these are cool. I don't know if you guys saw these. These are new brewmates, some other stuff in there. But think about every time you're posting, how is this going to benefit the, the viewer? 
before you hit post, before you hit submit, how is this going to benefit the viewer? How is this going to benefit the consumer? So in short, to, evolve, to avoid falling into this marketing trap, always ask yourself these three questions. Ready? What am I trying to communicate with my message? And is it about me or my clients? What am I trying to communicate with my message or is it about me, I'm sorry, is it about me or my clients? Next question. What problem, if you hadn't picked up on this by now, what problem does my messaging help solve? What problem does my messaging help solve? And the final question on that number, th on, on uh, how to avoid falling into this mistake, am I showing others how I can solve it? Am I showing others how I can solve it? So two is, what is the problem? Three is, am I showing them how I can solve it? Marketing mistake number six today. Marketing mistake number six. Marketing to everyone instead, okay, because everyone markets to everyone, instead target by location, age, income, and interests. And let me put an asterisk on that because I know what you're going to say. Marketing to everyone. Instead, target by location, age, income, and interests. Narrow your target market and advertise directly to them. We are a little restricted with fair housing of what we can do there. And of course, as you know, Facebook has modified how we can target. In the breakout session today, and probably a little bit later when I'm up here with Greg, we're gonna be talking about ways to work around that legally. So I wrote down under that point, have a niche. The more competition there is, the more important it is to narrow your focus. Have a niche. The more competition there is, the more important it is to narrow your focus. Okay, so I'll give you a for instance. When we made the decision to start into radio advertising, I couldn't afford the big stations, all right? I couldn't afford the, the sports talk and you know, talk formats are usually the most expensive. By the way, why are talk formats the most expensive? Because people stick around for the commercials. Well, why do they stick around for the commercials? Well, think about it, just using radio for instance. They stick around for the commercials because they're already used to hearing words. People listen to music stations, listen to music. So the commercial comes on, they change to another music station. So if you're in a situation where you're thinking about advertising on radio, do not advertise on music stations. Okay, I won't say it's a complete waste of money because by the way, I actually started on a music station, but I started on a morning talk show that just happened to be on a music station. Why did I pick a morning talk show? Because people stick around through the commercials. At that same time, by the way, here's something that we found for mass marketing. I mentioned the demographic of 35 to 54 year olds, specifically what we found in five, six, seven years of spending a ton of money and losing a ton of money. When it comes to mass marketing, any sort of mass marketing, advertise to men aged 35 to 54. What we found is every single time we targeted women 35 to 54, 
our results dropped. Why is that? Well, because here's what we found in our own five or six year study. In many situations, the male may make the first call. The female may make the final decision at the table. Now that's of course not in all situations. So we found that when we would spend dollar per dollar, female-based radio, male-based radio, we got more results with males. And before you say, well, what was your messaging? Because that's, of course, what we looked at. Well, maybe we should change our messaging. Oh, we did that too. We got endorsements from the female radio hosts and we, we softened our message and everything. When you focus on the 35, 54-year-old demo, I don't care if it's men, women, or whatever, you're gonna get better results. In our case, we got the best results with men aged 35 to 54. That is an example of identifying who your target audience is. You know, we have agents say from time to time, well, you know, I really love working with first-time buyers. Well, that's great, and I love that you love working with first-time buyers. You're gonna get a lot of first-time buyers from Instagram, but if I'm gonna put, put my eggs in baskets, why am I going to sprinkle this around and have energy and resources spread around for a client that is only going to be a one-time transaction, right? Because if they're a first-time buyer, they don't have a home to sell. Instead, I would rather have a 35 to 54-year-old who is selling the home and, of course, also buying with me. And then we have some people say, well, I like working with seniors because they've got the higher end, the luxury market. Yeah, but you understand, most seniors already have a second home somewhere or are moving out of state or are retiring. So thus, I'm losing a lot of transactions from there as well. 35 to 54 is a sweet spot for great listing agents. So define your target market and figure out how to get in front of them instead of trying to be everything to everyone. More touch points to your market is better than fewer touch points to more people. Let me repeat that. It's a big marketing flaw with real estate agents. More touch points to your market is better than fewer touch points to more people. More touch points to your market is better than fewer touch points to more people. I, I think it was two years ago on this very stage, I talk about frequency and dominance. You have to own the category and it's gotta be very frequent. I wrote down, would you rather have 100,000 impressions that generate 10 leads or 10,000 impressions that generate 100 leads? This is understanding your niche market and catering to them directly. Marketing mistake number seven. Trying to do it all on your own. Trying to do it all on your own. Trying to do it all on your own. So once you've developed your marketing plan, you've decided what you can do realistically within reason and what you'll need to hire out, you outsource to an expert. You outsource to somebody that knows what they're doing. You outsource to someone who's creating the image for you. You don't have to spend big bucks to do this either. There's tons of websites out there where you can get it cheap. Fiverr is one of them I know a lot of agents use. Why are you creating this stuff yourself? Put it in the hands of people who know what they're doing. I wrote down, the visionary of a company is often not the lead marketing expert, nor are they the lead salesperson or operations person. A marketing manager or professional in the marketing field should have a different, fresh perspective 
on what it is you're trying to achieve and should be more than just someone who creates pretty graphics for you. Which, by the way, a note on graphics, and you know, sometimes I just have random thoughts, so I'll share them with you. Do you know that an organic image on Facebook today will get you more likes, more exposure, more share, more comments than you creating a Canva image? There we go, thank you. Why is that? Well, because Facebook recognizes that when you're creating a Canva image, you're trying to sell their audience something. Why would we share this Canva image, you know, whoever at Facebook or their algorithm says, why are we gonna let real estate agents put their great Canva images out there when we know they're trying to sell something? Organic photos get more comments, more likes, more engagement than anything you could create on Canva. Think about all the time I just saved you on creating Canva images. You're welcome, David. So the person that you get involved with, whether it's an assistant or us, I mean, a lot of people are, are going to hear an opportunity to get involved on a higher level with marketing with us. Regardless of what decision you make of who you're bringing on to help you out, it has to be somebody who knows that particular game, right? It can't be somebody that just knows graphic design. Graphic design is just one part. They have to be able to understand the back end of, of Google Analytics, the back end of the Facebook you know, dashboard where you go in and see all the impressions and pick your audience and so forth. This person should be responsible for executing your marketing plan from top to bottom with results that can be measured and then next from there duplicated. So while we're on the topic of social media, internet, online, I wanna give you some, some thoughts and, and ideas and strategies as how social media has evolved and what we can do about what's happening. So do me a favor, just draw a line on your piece of paper there or flip the page. Draw a line. And I'm gonna share with you the latest and greatest social media strategies for real estate agents, specifically listing agents. So we've gone through and looked at everything we're doing online, specifically relating to social media, what's working, what's not working, what's profitable, what's not profitable. We talked with, of course, our marketing director, our, our coaches, and looked at everything that's happening in a big way on social media. And I wanna share some of those with you. So before we do that though, it's important you understand how social media has more or less shifted and changed over the last three to five years. So up until the last three to five years, our methods of communicating with our database, with our clients, were the telephone, uh, email, direct mail, and at the door, right? You guys might remember pop buys. Who remembers doing pop buys? Some of you might still do pop buys. It's one of the best methods, by the way. What, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, a pop buy. You're, you're popping by a past client's house. You're knocking on the door. You're leaving the car running and the driver door open. Okay, you have to do that. That is the key. Otherwise, they're gonna invite you in and wanna drink tea and coffee with you and all that other stuff. You don't have time for that. Hey, car's running, door's open. I was just in the neighborhood, just wanted to stop by and say hi. How the, how's the house? How's the dogs? How's the cat? How's the wife? How things going? Hey, good, good, good. Good to see. I'm on my way to an appointment, but just wanted to say, say hi. Hope all's well. That's a Popeye. Very effective, by the way. Still effective to this day. Just make sure you leave the car door open and the car running. Yeah, and take the key. There you go. Direct mail, phone call, email, text, Popeyes. That's all we had. Now, of course, we have social media. 
So we have to understand, and I'm gonna make a statement which some of you I know in this room will embrace and some of you have already embraced. And this is actually something that was very hard for me. And quite frankly, I was not gonna stand up here on this stage and talk about social media or marketing until we've had two or three or five or seven great years of success with it. We've learned, we've failed, we've learned, we failed. So what I want to make sure everyone walks away from, at least this segment of today with this understanding, and that is this. Your social media profile, meaning your, let's just focus on Facebook for a moment. Why? That's where the sellers are. Your social media profile is your next database. Your social media profile is your next database. Some of you may remember this from the tour. When we talk about database moving forward, I want everyone to understand that we have four databases today. All right, database number one has been around for years, you're all familiar with it. That's called the SOI Past Client Database. Okay, we could talk for hours on that. In fact, we did January of 2020 a conference, three full days on building a massive database and adding value to it. During COVID, when we had to cancel this retreat, we decided in lieu of doing a retreat because we couldn't do one, we would give all of that content away. That's in the Glover U Inner Circle. You can just, it's somewhere towards the top, hashtag summit replay or something like that. If you're interested in building a massive database and adding value to it, just go back and watch that. I'm gonna spend a ton of time on that today. The second database we introduced at that same conference was the Exchange database. The second database we introduced was the Exchange database. What do I mean by the Exchange database? And some of you remember this from the tour. The Exchange database is people, the definition of an Exchange database. People with whom I've had great exchanges with via text, email, phone, social media, or in person. People with whom I've had great exchanges with via text, email, phone, virtual, you know, social media, or in person, that could, that could transact business with me or refer me. That could transact business with me or refer me. People with whom I have good exchanges with. What's a good exchange? A back and forth. You know, a good exchange could be maybe, I'll use this as an example. You host an open house. You have 10 people that come through the open house. If you have 10 people that come through the open house, is there a good likelihood that there's gonna be at least one person you're gonna hit it off with? Say yes, yes. right? So you're gonna have one person that you hit it off with minimum. We know that's gonna happen. Well, they're not buying a house anytime soon for whatever reason, and you don't know them. They're not a sphere of influence. They're not a past client. Where do they go? They go in your exchange database. We made the decision two years ago to start building an exchange database, and we now invite our exchanges to client events. Why is that? Well, because it's my belief that this group right here is almost just as close to the sphere of influence past client group in terms of value to you as a real estate agent. Think about the call you get, somebody wants a CMA done on their home. Hey, Jeff, yeah, we'd love to have you out. We need a market analysis on our home. Oh, right away, I'll be there right away. Yeah, get my ticket there, yeah, put a CMA together. I'm getting a listing, this is gonna be cool. I'm ready for a listing, inventory's down. You get to the house, Jeff, thanks so much. We are, this is gonna be so helpful for our refinance process. We really appreciate this, right? We've been there. Oh, yeah, I'm, I can't wait, yeah. Let me share with you. Show me around, will you? You provide value. You know you all think that. 
You provide value, and what ends up happening is what do you do with that person? They didn't buy or sell with you, they haven't referred you to anybody, they're not a past client, they're not a sphere of influence. What do you do with that person? They're an exchange. We have a planner that I know a lot of you buy on a regular basis, and on the bottom of every single page, there's a box. It says contacts made, appointments set, appointments gone on, contract signed, and added to database. We set a goal on our team that you add one person a day to your database. Because if you're talking to 10, 12, 15, 20 people, there's gonna be someone that you have a good exchange with. And so now, when you have your client event and you're thinking, man, I really only have like 50 people I could invite, now all of a sudden you have 100 people you can invite. Now we, we did have 500, now we're inviting 1,000 because we're inviting our exchanges. I'll give you another example to think of exchanges. Those of you that are familiar with the Red Book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Book, they talk about Mets and have not Mets. Think of the exchanges as somewhere in the middle. You don't even have to meet these people for you to have a couple good exchanges, especially with Zoom and social media and everything that took place today. If you make it a point, watch this. If you make it a point to add one person per your, to your database per day, we already know there's 250 working days, right? We covered that yesterday. If you add one person per day, that's 250 per year. In four years, you'll have 1,000 people in this group. Which, by the way, after three or four years, they're gonna know you, they're gonna like you, they're gonna trust you. Why? Because you're adding similar value as you do with your sphere of influence and past clients. You're taking care of this group. Now, don't get me wrong, you might have a private, you know, like I know the, the Hearn brothers do great client events. They might have one private event just for their VIP clients. And that's something special, that's something cool, they spend a few extra bucks on it maybe, and, that, and that's great. But then they do a bigger, as you heard, community fireworks event. Okay, we invite thousands of people. You heard them say they had 2,900 two years ago or three years ago. That is when you would invite the exchanges. Because these people are gonna run into, rub shoulders with, bump elbows, whatever, fists, with your sphere of influence past client group. And naturally, it's gonna raise their level of confidence and credibility in you which will lead to repeat and referral business. There's no wonder why when I look at what have we done to grow our database business from less than 100 transactions a year to almost 500 last year came from our database and all we did was two things. We implemented a database formula, which you can all find that in the inner circle, I'm not gonna spend any time on that today. We implemented a database formula and we added people to it through the, using the exchange method. So every morning on our 7.30 a.m. accountability call, instead of it used to be, how many contacts did you make? How many appointments did you set? How many appointments did you go on? How many contracts did you sign? We tr we've tracked that every day, Monday through Friday, 7.30. You're working with us, you're on that call. But now we've added a fifth. How many people did you add to your database? And we have some agents that are, you know, two, three, four, five hundred people added to that group. I know as a company we have, I believe, over 2,000 in here now. And these will become these very soon. You, you send them enough pieces of mail, you follow up every now and then, you invite them to events, they're gonna become clients very soon. That's the second database that everyone should go back if you don't have your exchange database put together. By the way, some people will say, I get the question all the time, well where do I like house it? Where do I keep it? Well, if you're using a CRM, it's either a label or a tag, right? You tag them, you put it in as a new lead or a new prospect or whatever language your CRM uses and you label it as an exchange. 
or you, you tag them as an exchange, or you just create a separate spreadsheet, Excel, I don't care. Have a separate group, call it your exchange database. Number three, the third group, which, I was, which I'm talking about right now, is social media. Social media. Social media is a database. And for those of you that have been wishing to keep your personal profile separate from your business, you're making a huge mistake. And I, I can assure you, watch this. January 2020 in Orlando, Florida, we did an event where we talked about building a massive database. I started that event with the disruptors. You guys remember that for those of you who were there. The seven disruptors in our industry today. And my whole point with that conversation, the reason why we opened up day one with that conversation was because this. Our relationships are at jeopardy. You understand every single day that passes, the people in your database are being hit up by everybody. Social media impressions, stuff in their mailbox, client events of other agents inviting them to, everyone is tugging at your database. And I made a claim, because for years and years there used to be a database rule. Some of you who are at this event may remember that. For years and years, and this was established 30 years ago by some great trainers in the industry, the rule was that 10% of the size of your database would refer or do business with you. So if you had 100 people in your database, you got 10 deals a year. You have 1,000 people in your database, you have 100 deals a year. That, that rule has been around for years, and it's been proven to be the rule until now. I believe that number is dropping. I made the claim that I said I believe it's probably more like 75 to 8% of your database will do business or transact with you. Why is that? Where did the other 2 or 3% go? iBuying, Zillow, discounts, everyone that's tugging at your database. So I'm gonna make a similar claim here, and that is if you're not treating your Facebook personal profile as a database, you're going to miss out on opportunities. Facebook allows you, have to, allows you to have up to 5,000 friends. Get to 5,000 as fast as possible, all right? You all spend 30, 45 minutes to an hour, maybe two hours, hopefully not more than 60 minutes a day on Facebook. As you're scrolling, it gives you suggestions of friends. You click on their face, you see what they do. So long as they don't sell real estate in your town, you add them. Well, because last time I checked, an agent in your town's probably not gonna buy or sell with you. So I click on their face, I see what they do. Oh great, they work at the General Motors stamping plant. Confirm, or add, I'm sorry, add. Oh, let's see what this person, oh, they work, they work for Chrysler. Awesome, add. Why am I doing that? Because I'm building a database of up to 5,000 people through social media. That is your database, or one of the four anyways. So I see what they do, I click on their face, I make sure they don't sell real estate, I add them. Most of them, not all of them, accept my friend request. Why is that? Well, because when it's serving you suggested friends, it's recognizing that you have friends in common. So it sees that you have friends in common and is suggesting them to you. And then next thing you know, they look and say, oh, who's this guy? Never seen him before, huh, that's interesting. Who do they, oh, seven friends in common? Oh, they know Mary, oh, they know Bob. All right, cool, confirm. Next thing you know, you're growing the size of your database to 5,000 people. Your social media, specifically your Facebook personal profile, I'm not talking about your business page. All right, somewhere down the line, some guru said everyone's gotta have a Facebook business page. No, 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 no. Well, 
I take that back. You have to have one if you're gonna advertise and buy leads on Facebook. There's no doubt, you have to have that. It's good for credibility, sure. But you will get more leads, more referrals, more opportunities from your personal Facebook page. And I'm gonna make a recommendation, don't get mad, I fought it for years. Every single transaction you close, you add your clients as friends. Every transaction. Every transaction, why? Because if you don't, I will. And I'm gonna market to them. I'm gonna have a message that they're gonna see regularly. So your little postcard every three or four times a year, it's not gonna hold a candle to my messaging to them once a month or twice a month. Now fortunately, we're, we're capped out at 5,000, or unfortunately, so there's always gonna be enough for everyone to go around. But I know agents have fought that for years, I fought that. I don't want my clients to see what I do in my personal life. By the way, it's okay to have a personal life on Facebook. They wanna see that you're a normal person. Just of course be mindful of what you're posting, I don't have to tell you guys that. Your social media is a database, right? Take advantage of it. Finally, number four is your CRM slash prospects database. Your CRM slash prospects database. By the way, in terms of listing opportunities for our team, where our listings come from, okay, this is a listing-based conference. These are in order of importance. These are in order of results. How many of you spend the majority of your time down here? If you're spending the majority of your time here versus these three, you're losing out on listing opportunities. Now, don't get me wrong, all right? I'm not standing up here saying that you can do business without a CRM and you don't need a CRM. What I am saying is spend less time down here and more time up here. The CRM helps us stay organized. It helps us with mass marketing, mass emails, or whatever else we're sending out, no doubt. Spend less time down here and more time up here and you'll get more listing opportunities. So when we talk about the four databases, or I'm sorry, when I talk about database, I wanna make sure everyone, everyone understands these are the four. So you're treating, okay, so everyone knows sphere of influence past client, exchanges is a close second. Because most of these are gonna become sphere of influence past clients, so long as you're treating them similar to your SOI and past clients. You have enough great exchanges with someone. Now, again, I made the comment, you might only exchange back and forth through Facebook Messenger. You know, hey, I saw, I see you post a lot on Facebook. You know, we're not gonna be in the market anytime soon to buy, but do you have a lender that we could talk to about getting you know, our credit score up and getting pre-approved? Absolutely, you go back and forth on a few exchanges. Next thing you know, I had a good exchange with that person. Makes sense to add them. I take their contact information and I add them. Social media, specifically Facebook. That is your database. And finally, the CRM and prospects. Thank you for taking your time to join Jeff today on the Live Unreal with Glover U podcast. To get started on having an unreal business, take the real estate self-assessment. After you complete the assessment, a member of Glover U will get on a call with you to create an action plan to improve your score. Go to www.gloveru.com self. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Search for Live Unreal with Glover U on iTunes, Podbean, or Spotify, and subscribe today. Until next time.